Hello, and welcome to Start Talking, an art gallery of Windsor podcast, where we talk about everything and anything arts-related in the Windsor-Essex community. I'm Michaela, and I'm the Digital Initiatives Coordinator at the Art Gallery of Windsor. And hi, I'm Abby Lee, and I am the Audience Engagement Coordinator, uh, also at the Art Gallery of Windsor. So we're here today with Kim Willis from CMHA and with Vincent Georgie from WIF and the University of Windsor. We've had them both on our podcast before. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us at the same time. Thank Um, you. Thanks. You're very welcome. And also, we just want to say that we're going to be discussing a movie in this episode called Promising Young Woman. And there is some content dealing with rape and sexual assault that some people might find disturbing. So just a a little warning going in for you. And also we are going to be discussing spoilers, definitely. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, maybe see the movie and then listen to the podcast to have a little discussion with us about the movie. All right, so first we're gonna uh, do a little bit of catch up though, see what's been going on with each other since the last time we all spoke. So Kim, do you wanna go first? Tell us what you've been up to the past couple of months. Well, it's been lockdown, so not a ton of overly exciting things. I have watched some more movies and some more programs. I'm really into Handmaid's Tale right now. I think it's just so brilliantly done. And Elizabeth Moss is killing it as a director, too, for that program. Just binged Mayor of Easttown, which, again, was a phenomenal performance by Kate Winslet. And now it's our first day of opening in Ontario. So uh, patios, here I come. Hopefully all of us. Hopefully we will all be uh, getting to the patios pretty soon. Agreed, agreed. Yeah, and Vincent, what's going on with you? I know that there's some news for WIF to share, which I am very excited about myself for sure sure. so 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 we're bringing with under the stars back this summer for sure so we're doing our drive-in again we had a lot of fun with that last summer so that's coming back for sure we're aiming we're we're still nailing it down but we're looking very very seriously at august for sure it is going to be longer we're definitely Mm -hmm. adding days to it We're, we're excited to do that one especially when um i'm thinking back to one of my students at the university of windsor that she came to the drive-in last summer with her family and she made a point of telling you right from their vehicle, it had been the first time her and her parents had left the home at all since March. Like of all things were that you, they didn't leave for grocery, like nothing. This is what you came to. And I was like, okay, this is why you do it. So yeah, so so driving is back for sure. Can't wait to be right there on the water and at, at, at Vessel Plaza and that. It, make, it makes it special. It's, it's a really cool event to do. We're really proud of that. So working on that quite a bit. Yeah, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Maybe have a few other tricks up our sleeve too for summer. We're really trying to get some stuff going. So yeah, but driving is back 100%. I have some really lovely memories of going to drive-ins when I was younger, but even at that point, they were already starting to fade out. And there's something really special about gathering in a space with other people around. Obviously, in this case, we, you know, everyone would be in their vehicles. Yeah. But just even having people close by after having such a long time of not even being able to be remotely close to, to many other human beings is yeah. so lovely. And, and doing it when you get to all enjoy a good movie under the stars you can't beat that so yeah I'm curious of I know you mentioned last time like considering maybe that it would even continue past when we're able to gather like normal because it was such a hit 
Uh, one of our principal rules with WIF is just listen to the audience. Nine times out of 10, if you just listen to the audience, they're probably telling you exactly what we need to do, what should be going on. And we heard it very, very clearly last year that people, and again, I was on radio duty. So what that means is people would hand me back the radios in the night. So I quickly talked to everybody at their car safely, right? And what I heard constantly was, oh, that was so much fun. This isn't just a COVID thing, is it? <laughs> and if they're like, no, no, like this is good. Like this, this needs to be a thing. So, so yeah, uh, we're definitely committed to the drive and we're going to figure out how to do it long-term for sure. It's a challenge too, that just in with Festival 2022 definitely happening um, with property is a year of planning. So it's, it's going to be interesting juggling doing both because when driving goes on in summer, we're very, very busy in our planning, but anyway, you know, you know what, it's a good problem to have, but uh it's going to be happy. And the other piece too, I, I can tease is that some of the other stuff we're looking at for, for summer is we very much want to do an event or something that has the shape around people being able to just sit in lawn chairs or blankets or whatever, and not necessarily be in a vehicle. So that's also something that we're sort of chewing on for summer. So maybe stay tuned for something like that. So folks, if they just want to walk by or bike by or whatever, or just sit in a blanket, we want to look at some sort of event. It can't happen as a drive-in proper, but we're looking for some sort of alternative piece that we're going to play around with. So Stay tuned for that. That that we're, we're we're chewing on how to do it. That is exciting. <laughs> so we've hung on for like five minutes, not talking about this. I'm surprised it's been this long, to be honest with you. But for those who listened to our episodes with Vincent and Kim the last time, you would note that both of them recommended the same movie to Michaela and I, which is Promising Young Woman, as Michaela mentioned in the intro. And we both watched it and oh man, like if you have seen it, you know that you could talk about this movie for weeks and weeks and still have more to discuss. So we thought that since we've all seen it and since I think the movie crosses over so well into everyone's fields with like the psychological elements, the aesthetics, and obviously the brilliant directing, acting, writing, that this would be something interesting to talk about today. So to kick it off, oh my goodness, I, I it's kind of hard to know where to start, but I guess I'll start off with, given what you had seen of it, the trailer, or what you'd heard of it, was it anything like what you expected it to be? For me, no, not at all. I hadn't really seen a trailer, I don't believe. I just had heard the buzz around this film and just how phenomenal the performances were. I knew there was a twist at the end, but it exceeded all my expectations and was really, really different than other films that cover those topics. Yes, same. It was galaxies ahead of what I thought. I mean, I heard it was really good. It premiered at Sundance 2020. I was not there, but I saw it many months after and it, it completely knocked me out because I mean, like Emerald Fennell, this is her first feature film. So Emerald Fennell, I only knew is playing Camilla Parker Bowles on The Crown. And she's very good, but like, I had no idea what she'd be like as a writer director. And I've always liked Carrie Mulligan, but I had no sense of her in this role. And I remember remarking them, like I was intrigued by the cast because I'm like, oh, there's a very unusual group of people to bring together, like Bo Burnham and like Molly Shannon and Connie Britt. Like I was, I was just, I thought it was interesting. And I remember distinctly, I think I only started the film around midnight. It was very, very late. That was for sure. And oh my goodness, five minutes in, I'm like, afterwards. Oh, Say it again. 
Could you sleep afterwards? No, no, I couldn't actually. I, I couldn't. I stayed up that f- all night reading stuff on the, I, I was probably up till maybe 5 a.m. Yeah. I, it was one of those films that, no, it is, for me, it's the epitome of what a good movie is, is you must talk about this. You must read about it. You, yeah. I, I was reading every blog I could get my hands on. I'm like, I was the same. Right, Kim? Right. Yeah. Yeah, you did. You're exactly spot on. It's something you want to talk about with other people. And it was sad because not a lot of people because of the pandemic and such had seen the film. And even to this day, I want to talk about it with my friends or family and a lot of them still haven't seen it. So I continue to like push it because I still think about it. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, it absolutely, it absolutely stays with you. There's, there's no doubt. If, I mean, for kicks, if you actually were to drive by Lakeshore Cinemas, they have a poster of it up because it was supposed to be there in like April of 2020. And the poster was up like that winter of like coming soon. And then of course, you know, never happened. That's funny. Uh, but it, it's definitely a movie that that stands out from the crowd, no question, no question. It's so well done. And I think the thing I like the most about it is I found it astonishing the risks the movie was taking. Mm-hmm. It's like, holy moly, like this is a confident film that has a very specific point of view. Yeah, I completely agree with everything that you're saying. I think one of the most striking things for me was that, you know, at this point, I think it's, it's fair to say that everyone in, this uh, Zoom room has seen a lot of movies, but it somehow, everything that I thought would happen, like there were only a couple of things I'm like, oh, I sense that this is going to be what happens. And then that actually did. Most of the things that I thought, it was like the complete opposite. And one of the things which I'm really, I'm, oh my gosh, I mean, I'm curious to get your take on so many parts of this, but I really, thought it was so well done in the first couple of scenes where sort of the introduction to the movie it's shown very much from the perspective of the three men at the bar who are very much looking at Carrie Mulligan's character Cassie and you know saying all of these things and we're not really getting her sort of opinion on it and then as it, we find out as the scene goes on when the one man takes her home and she's like visibly intoxicated and then she pulls the switch where she's in fact not intoxicated she was just acting as such to see what the men would do Mm -hmm. we realize oh she's been in control all along and it's Mm -hmm. sort of like a gotcha moment for the audience as well Mm -hmm. and then from that point on it's very much centered around her perspective which is there's so many of those gotcha moments in it, but the whole tearing down of the nice guy trope was just something that I've seen it a little, but never just totally eviscerated like this movie did. I have to wonder that because these guys, they, they take her home thinking, you know, like she's drunk and pliable and they can do whatever but then you know when she wakes up I still thought as I was watching this couldn't they just overpower her anyway right but these are the guys who see themselves as being like I don't want to attack a woman I'm not going to fight a woman to get what I want but you know there's that so-called gray area where she's not really able to say no and somehow I think that they think they are apart from the men who are willing to attack and really, they're not. They're not different at all. That's something that struck me about that. Because, I mean, this is definitely not, you know, uh, the rapist from the bushes jumping out and, and grabbing someone. You know what I mean? It's, it's not that. And, and, and 
for me, from my own interpretation, these are all crimes of opportunity. And I've, I've discussed this with some friends who agree and disagree. I've heard varying perspectives on it. I wasn't, I sort of thought to, did any of the different men in this film that evening set out knowing this is what their intention was, or was it more given the opportunity yeah. they made sinister choices? And I think you could look at that different ways. Obviously debatable because we don't know, but mm -hmm. that's what's interesting is because they're definitely not villainous types. But even if we go flash forward to the scene at the bachelor party, okay? I still don't think that the um, Chris Lowell character, okay? And I mean, we can, I think we can give spoilers here because I mean, we've oh, all yeah. seen it and this film's now many year old or whatever, but he ultimately kills Harry Mulligan. When you first meet, I've seen the film three, four times at this point, I still don't think he ever even wanted the stripper to show up at all. I still think he actually wanted none of it. It was going to be a nice bachelor party. I don't think he was in that frame of mind at all. He obviously went there, but... You know what I mean? That, that, that was my take on it for what it's worth. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and the fact that they were doctors or in medical school, right. right? It really goes against those stereotypes. And that was very intentional, I think, too. Just to, I totally agree with Vincent that it was just ordinary Joe, right? At the bar who sees an opportunity and, and thinks they're just gonna, you know, go have a good night or whatever the case might be. And she calls them on it. And it's brilliant. It really yeah. is. There's so many pieces in the movie of aesthetic versus reality. And I feel like two of the strongest points for me where that really came up was in the casting. And then in, I guess, both the audio and the visuals. So I guess that's three components. But the fact that all of these people who took part in either an active way to assault the friend of Cassie, Nina, or were bystanders in the whole thing, all of those actors are these like, sweet, like, cuddly people that as soon as you look at them you think like oh these people like we're safe with these people like Connie Britton if anyone's seen Friday Night Lights which is one of my favorite shows her character is just the loveliest most caring person there's Max Greenfield Schmidt from New Girls in it you know more of like a quirky lovable character and both of them along with so many other characters when they're faced with this moment of reckoning they show no empathy whatsoever so that was one thing I'm like oh my gosh I can't believe that these people who I thought off the top were going to be one way are so much the other and of course Bo Burnham's character I realized I was so taken in by him he really got me and then about the halfway the through film. I was like it's pardon he's the MVP of the whole film I think he was yes. amazing and yeah it was only I think maybe five to ten minutes before it was actually revealed where I was like oh no this is not this kind of film because they just shown them doing all of these adorable things like he was such like just the kindest character like a pediatrician yeah. so funny like always asking Cassie like oh like are you okay like it looks like there's something wrong like seemed really caring and then of course she receives the video of the night of the assault 
that she'd never seen before. And the brilliant part of that scene is you don't even see anything in the video, but you hear the voice of Bo Burnham's character coming on. He was there, he did nothing. And it was such a shocking moment of like, that really just ripped the rug out from everyone. So- And and, um, and the film does trick you because everything in the relationship between Carrie Mulligan and Bo Burnham seems to be genuinely working and like this is actually going to go somewhere positive. You don't have this feeling, you know, there's all sorts of other problems in the other characters, but you actually really think there's this one romance at the center that is really going to work and you're you're rooting for them. Yep. And I think the interesting part of that too, is if you watch it again, you watch Bo Burnham's performance and his role, his character, and it doesn't come across as so charming when you rewatch it, knowing like you pick up on kind of the sleaziness and just how much he is a player and uh, it's just too good to be true. I do like that they did that with the film though, because it could have easily kind of, for lack of a better term, devolved into a romance. And then there are a lot of people who would watch it and think like they would treat that like the point of the movie or the best part of the movie. But That's not what it's about. And also, if he turned out to be a good guy, it would have been kind of not all men-ish, right? Which, I mean, of course, we know not all men are are rapists or rape apologists. But still, the idea that even when it seems like somebody safe, sometimes people are, are harboring these thoughts or these ideologies that they're not willing to present to the world because it's shameful. Right. Um, and th- that's the only reason why is because they know it's shameful and uh, unacceptable and not because it's what they truly feel like. Even at the end, he had a chance to redeem himself by saying, well, yeah, I did know. Like when the cop came to ask him about where Carrie Mullion's uh, character had gone, he could have said, well, I-, I know she went to this guy's bachelor party and here's the address. But he pretended that he didn't know. He did it mm-hmm. to protect himself. So, he, you know, he didn't have any genuine feelings of caring about the the greater issue at hand so i thought that was really well done that they're just the evil so to speak was inescapable i know um i couldn't help myself i had to go watch the bonus features after the movie right i have to see what everyone says about making this movie and and some people i think it was laverne cox was actually saying you know there are gray lines or gray areas with these characters and you know, take Bo Burnham's character, for example, it's a very gray area because he's such a nice guy. He's so kind, but he's done something that was not great. And to me, it's just not a gray area at all. Like, it's one thing if you're concerned for your safety in the moment while watching somebody else be gang raped. But if you're not willing to report it ever after again, if you want to shove it under the rug, like that's that's just plain wrong. There's no there's no gray. So I'm, I'm interested in why certain actors or other makers in this film thought that there was gray. To me, there really isn't much gray at all. I, I hear what you're saying. I think from my perspective, you can look back on something or actions or things that you were part of and how you interpret that as each year passes can shift, which doesn't take you away from something or alleviate guilt or your involvement. But I think with time, that maybe numbs a little bit. And that might be where there's some gray. It's like, well, yeah, he was there, but that was 10 years ago. And look what he's accomplished now. And he's such a great guy. I think, though, we're in a time when we're seeing 
your actions of past really can have an impact on you up to today. And I think that's a reality that we've all seen happen on different scales over the last several years too. I think Kim's brought up a really good point there on the idea of then do we have to fundamentally assume people don't evolve? Right. You know, yeah. and, and, and in that film, like you could argue, I don't even know how I feel about this, but you could argue has that person evolved and that person is no longer that person. Right. And that's part of the, the, the climate that's tricky right now and the idea of, you know, well, this person did this thing last week. Okay, this person did this thing last month. Okay, this person did this thing last year. They did it five years ago. And at what point is it like, well, wait a minute. And I don't even know how I really feel about this, but it then starts to ask the question of what he did and as a 17-year-old or 20-year-old was is reprehensible. There's, 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 there's no debate. But then the question I have, and I don't have the answer to it is, well, then who is he as a 35-year-old? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know I, I mean? Yeah, I think for, and I kind of, I was interested too to see, I also went down the rabbit hole of watching and, and listening to like all the materials about this movie that I could. And I think there's such a striking difference between the reaction of Bo Burnham's character upon being called out. And then if we go to Alfred Molina's character, who also Alfred Molina plays such a villain in so many different things. Yeah. So you would not expect his character to exhibit any remorse. But in fact, he's the only one upon being called out that is like, what I did was terrible. Like, I yes. can't sleep. I don't know, like, what mm-hmm. to do to make this right. Whereas Bo Burnham's character, there's no, like, recognition. Oh, well, we were kids. Like, just kind of tries to put it under the rug. And time yes. and time again, when he's given an opportunity to learn from that, engage with it, and grow from it, he seems to just exhibit the same kind of behavior that he did when he was younger, like even going so far as to attend the wedding of this person who assaulted Nina, uh, despite saying, making it sound like they weren't really in touch. So I think if it weren't, like if he had reacted differently, if she called him out, like, that was just so terrible. Like I never should have done that. I regret it. Like something to own up to it. That would have Mm -hmm. shown some growth, but he didn't do that. He just Mm -hmm. said, oh, well, you know, we were kids, got really defensive. And then as Michaela mentioned, when he had the opportunity to try to help the police in finding Cassie after she had been killed, he just said, oh, I don't know. And did the same sort of bystander behavior that he had as a teenager. So it's just, it's interesting too, because her reaction upon seeing like Alfred Molina's character who's a terrible lawyer who would like rifle through people's trash to get dirt on them. But he was exhibiting remorse. Like she trusted him so much more than Bo Burnham's character who she had been seeing for like quite some time. So it's really interesting just even to see people's immediate reactions when they're caught. I felt like that shows so much of the growth or lack thereof of these characters. Mm -hmm. And I think too, it's really interesting or purposeful in the film that we don't see the video, right? So it's all our kind of interpretation of what happened with Nina's assault too, right? We just don't know the extent of involvement of very different characters and they were there, but what exactly happened and how it unfolded and all of those things. It's a lot of how we, the viewer, 
perceive that. Yeah, it, it was a smart choice having us not see it for sure, because the, then we've got to interpret mm-hmm. all of it. The, the other thing that's interesting was her relationship to some of the other women in the film, specifically her relationship to the Alison Brie character. Yeah. And then also to the Connie Britton character played the, the dean of the school in that she throws it right back at them. And interestingly, certainly the Alison Brie character puts her in a semi-threatening situation mm-hmm. because she was setting her up to over drink at lunch and then purposefully have a, a guy, I guess, that she's hired to go and sort of sit in the room with her and for a moment place some, a seed of doubt in Alison Brie's head of, of, you know, had she been assaulted or whatever. So it, it it, there, there's a real menace to the character, but I think what Carrie Mulligan character does so well is she has this way of throwing things back at people yeah. and having them experience, well, hey, what does it feel like if you were in this situation? And she does that really great with the Connie Britton character when she ultimately, in some ways, has her daughter kind of kidnapped. Yeah. You, you, know, you know what I mean? And, that, but, and that's how the movie keeps you on your toes because you're definitely on side with Karen Mulligan, but then there's things going on. You're like, okay. And like the, the scene where she's pulling up and seeing this young teenage girl on the street and gets her to get in my car and whatever, and trying to sort of wrap your head on where this is going. And then, and then, you know what I mean? It starts getting like, huh, yeah. okay. That's yeah. one way of doing it. Right. And I think that's the thing too, right? You're rooting for her, but then you see her becoming unhinged to a greater and greater extent and she's brilliant and the way she sets them all up is so smart and strategic but at the same time you're going oh she's I don't know I feel like she's going down a really slippery slope here and every time she gets a little bolder it becomes a little bit more dangerous and you go I don't know how comfortable I am with this yeah and then the ending right I totally did not see that ending coming For me, that's one of the most satisfying, not the ending, but like the unabashed vigilante justice throughout the entire thing. I'm not saying that I necessarily condone everything that she did, but a lot of stories that involve vigilante justice end up going along lines of, well, you know, this might seem like the right thing to do, but ultimately you should let the law handle it. And as as we've seen numerous times in the film and in real life, they don't handle it. So I, I really loved that... Honestly, at first when, like with the kidnapping scene with the daughter, I was uncomfortable too. And then when she said, you know, I just delivered her into the hands of these college boys with alcohol, I was like, please tell me she didn't actually do that. (laughs) And then of course she didn't. And thank God, but I was very satisfied by how rattled Connie Britton's character was. Yes, yeah. That serves you right. Yeah, when it's someone you care about, now you think that, you know. This person's not not an upstanding citizen. Exactly. Yes. And then or same like with Alison Brie, although I wonder like when you hire a guy to just watch someone, but no one's watching him, he technically could have done something. He would not be yes. any wiser, right? So. And also putting her through the experience of being in a very uncomfortable situation and having doubt as to what like what like, you know what I mean? You're definitely playing on the psychological wellness of that character and definitely on the Connie Britton character as well. There's no mm-hmm. it's it's proving a point. There's no question. Yeah. But you're proving the point by putting something in, into an unbelievably dark play. Like, and the, the other part too that, that that we haven't discussed that needs to be mentioned with all of this is so many of these scenes also have a Paris Hilton soundtrack. Yeah. Or have this popcorn cotton candy soundtrack. Like the scene. For me, the scene that clenched, I'm like, okay, this is the best movie of the year. Like, everyone just go home, was the scene where Max Greenfield and Chris Lowell were burning the body. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Like, this, this film is doing this right now? 
But the 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 song that was being played, I think it was some version. Juice of whatever. Newton. I think it was. This, the song in that thing specifically was the song from The King and I. Some romantic, lovely song. And like the irony of what was on screen, and it was all about some song about like a Prince Charming or whatever. The, the film uses the soundtrack in a very sly way. The soundtrack's another real MVP of that movie. Yeah. The, the musical choices are, are, are very popcorn and cotton candy and the contrast very sharply what's going on on screen. Yeah, and including like the coffee shop where she works and and you're right, just the aesthetics of the film. It's so light and bubbly and yet it's such dark, deep subject matter. Exactly. So I think that again is part of the brilliance that things in your brain are misfiring on different levels because you're going this doesn't add up to this this feels like it should be a rom-com almost and sometimes but then it becomes very dark and that's just part of the the brilliance of that film a total aside as i was watching the 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 coffee shop scenes i kept thinking like i would go to that coffee shop yes yes it looked so good i'm like laverne cox and carrie mulligan worked i'm like i'd be there every day oh yeah i'd be there every day (laughs) yeah me if everyone too. wants to open up that place, right? We're all going to go. I would be there. I'm like, I'd be there constantly. It looks so good. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, I'm so glad you brought up the aesthetics with the sound and also the visuals. Like, oh, yes. this isn't my role, but one of our coworkers at the gallery is in education. So she is wonderful and teaches a lot on like different ways to look at art and then the elements of art. So things like, like for color, line, texture, all that sort of things. And I can't remember having really done this in another movie, but it's so visually striking that I found myself going through all of those different elements. And like you said, nothing added up, like the the coffee shop and these like bright, bold colors. The lines are very clean on everything. Carrie Mulligan's character is dressed in these like very soft colors generally, which is like a very nice and sneaky choice and same with Bo Burnham's character as well like a lot of what he wears the texture is like very soft and he walks in and he's just like one of those people that you'd want to give a obviously consensual hug to because he just looks like so cuddly and every choice was so well made and then paired on top with the music which as you mentioned it often has like a romantic sort of feel or particularly one of I think the most striking scenes which I watched before the Bo Burnham reveal and after and they're like totally different scenes to me now which is wild in and of itself but the fact that they're in this adorable like pharmacy has got these like nice appealing neon sign very bright it looks like they're in like I connected it to the movie La La Land like the same sort of like bright colors and that like swirl of romance And then the fact that he's singing this Paris Hilton song, which um, I guess Emerald Fennell chose the song because she said, okay, well, if I, you know, if I ever saw a guy singing that song, I'd immediately be like, wow, this guy is amazing and and different. And then, of course, it's completely opposite from what you actually see if you go deeper. And I'm glad you mentioned that, Kim, of how you've rewatched those scenes with Bo Burnham's character, Ryan, and they look completely different because I was like, I can still enjoy the pharmacy scene. And I could not, I couldn't even finish it. I'm like, I'm so like distraught at how this all went down. No, I totally agree. And I think even the way Carrie Mulligan's character, her wardrobe and her hair they make her look 
like a younger girl, I think. They put it in context of when she would have been in college and if he's now a pediatrician and they were in school around the same time, like she should be well in her like 30s or like say around 30 and they make her look a lot younger in her wardrobe. And I think, again, it's all purposeful. Yeah, the director did say that she wanted Cassie to look inviting and that's part of her allure, right? When she reels guys in. And I know she wears some some harsher looking outfits when she actually goes out to the bars, of course, but generally she's got that kind of innocent thing going on. And yeah, it was definitely on purpose, but one of my, one of my favorite things that she like wears, so to speak, was at the very beginning of the film right after she had flipped the switch on Adam Brody's character. And then she's coming out of his apartment or whatever. She's got a huge liquid red mark on her shin. And then you think, oh my God, she she like she beat the crap out of this guy or something like that. And then it turns out that she's just eating a really messy hot dog. Yeah. And she continues to eat the messy hot dog and stare down the construction workers that are catcalling her the entire time. And that to me was just beautiful because it is a completely innocent act. Like she she hasn't done anything wrong, but there are so many implications and undertones there. And, and, and the smartness of that scene too, as she's you know walking and eating a hot dog, whatever she's getting, she's being harassed. She's getting all these cat inappropriate cat calls from some construction workers, and she stops and looks at them, just stares at them, doesn't say anything. But then suddenly the energy is different and the woman that they were cat calling and whatever, now they're actually disparaging. And because she's looked at them, now they're all saying terrible names about her and then actually being threatening to her. But it's so interesting that again, like there's so many scenes in the movie that, that the power really just flip. And, and, and I, I thought it was a very interesting way of opening the film. Same thing too, even with from an energy perspective too, like the 80s graphics of the, the title credits. And there, there's, there's a real 80s sensibility of the whole film with like so much soundtrack and, and some of the graphics and that that are very retro. The other thing too that I haven't talked about is the interesting and disconnected relationship that she has with her parents. Yeah. You know, who never seem to really know what is going on. And there's a clear, like almost like a vacuum quality of their house. It seems like a house that there's been no sort of fresh air in in you know, 25 years. And they really don't know what's happening. And, and late in the film, when the police detectives are meeting with them to talk about, you know, she's disappeared or whatever, it's so sad because you can hear the discussion going in the wrong direction of them not knowing what's going on and it could have been this and it could have been that. And like, clearly they had no clue what's happening. And that's part of that tragedy to some extent. Even though she's living under their roof, they clearly don't communicate. There's not a lot of sharing of information or what's going on in each other's lives. And again, I think, you know, we're set up. What I think is so amazing about it is like, at any moment, the tone of this film could have been completely off. Like if I visually imagine Emerald Fennell, it's a woman walking across a tightrope. Yeah. Because everything she's doing in story, in performance, in, in design, in camera is like a little to the left or to the right and the tone's completely wrong and it's, it's a joke or it's offensive or it's stupid or whatever. It's very high degree of, of I just keep coming back to tone. Mm -hmm. Like they yeah. really were able to get this very specific tone and that is not easy to do. Yeah, and I think too, when you put it all together, it works so well, but like you said, any one of those could have not been done. And, you know, the different scenes or the different characters could have been off and it wouldn't yes. have fit and it would have thrown everything yes. off track. Mm -hmm. Yes. One piece relating to the tone that I would love to get everyone's thoughts on is to me, this is one of 
I hope I'm, I'm using this in the right way, but to me, it was one of the most like trauma informed movies, particularly about this kind of content that I had seen for so many reasons. One of them being just the fact that they show or they go over so much difficult content, but in a way that I don't think would be necessarily as triggering as if they, for instance, showed the video of the assault or, you know, had different balances of power. Like you said, Vincent, like if the person walking the tightrope had teetered a little to the left or the right, this isn't typically a, a genre that I would see, like revenge films, I suppose. But the few I have seen, is always kind of unsatisfied because it's like, Okay, in real life, if you have some kind of horribly awful traumatic event happen, and then you, you know, you stake out that your mission is to take down this person who sparked the event, there's no way, I don't think anyway, that once you found that person that, oh, I'm just, I'm going to be completely fine. I feel like this movie really hit on that so well, because you kind of get the sense that even with each person that Cassie is like going home with pretending to be drunk and then flipping the switch it's like a very temporary victory for her and then it goes back to this hollowness and very much so like of course she goes on to the point that she knows going to the bachelor party that she might not come back after this and so she makes all of those plans knowing that and so I'm kind of wondering did you think that if things had worked out with Bo Burnham's character because at that point she'd kind of stopped doing those revenge schemes do you think she would have fully stopped or do you think that sort of like addictive behavior would have eventually come back at some point that's a hell of a question yeah that I was just gonna say <laughs> that question. is a great <laughs> I've question been thinking, I don't know if there's an answer but I've been pondering no, that one. so much yeah we want to think that she's finally found some peace and some happiness, and that will allow her to heal and grow from the trauma and what she has experienced. But that being said, we know, CMHA, if you don't deal with what is at the root cause of causing you this distress and historical events that have been so traumatic in your life, then it's really difficult to ever fully move on. So I think it is a really, really great question. But I think just because it seems so embedded in her, this need to find justice for her friend, that eventually, even if it had worked out with Bo Burnham's character, I feel like those tendencies would show up again in some way. It was clear that they were on some sort of better path together. Mm -hmm. that she was letting her guard down a bit, was seeming a bit more comfortable, a bit more solace. Because up to the Bo Burnham character being introduced, the only sort of authentic relationship that she had was, was with Laverne Cox. That was the only person where I sort of thought there was some sort of actual dynamic going on. But to Kim's good point, there's so much having gone on here that would have to rear its head at some point in the relationship because what your life experience is, is your life experience. Mm -hmm. I believe that's an outstanding question. I've actually, I've also never heard anyone even ask that. That's no. really interesting to think through. And that, yeah, and I think too, what's interesting about that question is, is that what triggers her to go to the bachelor party and really just put an end to things one way or another, once and for all, you know, would that still have happened? Would that still have been her intent? I think that's all uh, 
really interesting too. I think that pushed her over the edge yeah. on because there was something more hopeful happening to the Bo Burnham character. And I think when mm-hmm. finally she realized that this is not what she thought it was at all, I think that just gave her more, even more fearlessness in how she was going to approach the reckoning with the, at, at the bachelor party. And, and the bachelor party too is, is an amazing scene because then the film, again, through camera and through sound design as well, turns into a horror film. Yeah. The way that's all shot, you know, it's the cottage in the forest and it's darker and then her car's on the side of the road and like she deliberately throws her license plate away and she's walking up the path. There's a little bit of a, a, a warped um, little Red Riding Hood thing going on in that scene. Yeah. You know, and then the big bad wolves open the door and, and, and it all seems fine initially, but you sort of know, you're like, oh, I don't know how this is all going to go. And what if, what if it had gone the other way in the bedroom? Like, what if she had been successful or, you know, if her intent was to kill him, mm-hmm. then what was her next plan? Was she going to take out everyone in the house was she just gonna leave was she gonna go on the run remember she had them all doing shots on that but she had spiked whatever it was to sort of knock everyone out not kill them but yeah remember she's pouring the shot there's something there that i'm like okay clearly everyone's been but even there i'm like okay so you're going into a room of people and you're actually putting something in everyone's drink okay <laughs> like all right so you've got all these i'm assuming these guys are the incapacitated at this point or, or or what have you yeah i i don't know that she would have killed them all but i i definitely would have my doubts that she was ready to murder the chris roll character i i think that was entirely possible to be honest i i think she was almost on an odyssey of the road will take me where it takes me and also to the perverseness of i mean she, again we forget too the promising one piece is her and her friend nina were promising young women. They were medical school students and what have you. Of course she goes as a nurse. But yeah. in this case, it's a sexualized nurse. But even in all of her kit or whatever, she was administering as a medical profession. Yeah, interesting about the title too, because I had heard or read, there was that case in the US and it was a gang rape on a college campus. And the woman wrote a book and she testified. And what the prosecutor or the defense lawyer had said about the man involved in that was, oh, he was such a promising young man as part of the defense of that. So someone else brought that up as it relates to this title that when it was a man who was in that power position, oh, well, you know, he was going to be a doctor. He was such a promising young man and kind of justification. And to your point, right, if that's where Bo Burnham's character is at, where he thinks he's moved on and he has this successful career and he's trying to work on this relationship. It's just fascinating to uh, see that parallel. There's this idea too that, oh, well, and I think Connie Britton's character brings that up as well in the meeting where, well, we can't tarnish the reputations of these young men, like heaven forbid. Meanwhile, you do eventually find out that Nina's character is, been the target of the assault has died so no one had cared about her future as a promising young woman the way that they cared about these men as as promising young men so it's quite yeah quite a difference also I thought that uh, again that whole last scene with her going to the bachelor party I feel like that could just be assessed to the nth degree but it was almost like to me as I was watching I'm like oh yes this is 
almost a fitting role, I suppose, because of what you said, Vincent of Hirsch kind of showing up there as the nurse. But then I sort of caught myself and was like, well, that's like pretty bad if this is the only actualized path where she could even get close to pursuing her initial dream of wanting to be a doctor right. is this completely debased, sexualized nurse character. Right, it's right. like, oh, wow. And so I think at that point, like you said, she kind of was just throwing caution to the wind completely because it was like, well, this world as it is now is not for me. So I'm going to try to take down as many of these quote unquote nice boys as I can. So yeah. She was studying to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. But in this case, she is not a doctor. She's a nurse. And in this case, a sexualized nurse. Right. So there's even a power dynamic, almost like a demotion quality to it. Yeah. yeah. I do want to talk about that, the ending there too, though. First of all, I, I knew, I didn't know that she was going to die, but I knew there would be problems when she only restrained his hands. That's, that's the first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Restrain completely. But there's this concept that I'm not sure if any of you have heard of before called the woman in the refrigerator. And it's basically where a female character is killed or assaulted or raped in some way in order to motivate a male character into action. So revenge because something happened to his mom, his sister, his wife, his girlfriend, and she's just a throwaway, basically. She's shoved into the refrigerator. And obviously that's not the case in this movie because it's all about like the female character taking action. And yes, her friend's death and, and sexual assault rape did obviously motivate her but in a way it seemed to me like she was kind of throwing herself away like I, I know that she was orchestrating everything and you know that shows agency and her own life choices that she's willing to actually die to to put this guy behind bars but then that that begs the question of is it worth it to like even if he never rapes anyone again is it worth it to have her die is this young woman's life worth putting this guy behind bars it's portrayed as a smart it, and it is definitely a smart ending but at the same time it, it's, it's a it's tough it's a tough ending. yeah yeah it's, it's a tough ending and mm -hmm. it, it was her decision to ultimately her own agency. Yeah. But, you know, does she have to die for justice? Of course, you don't want that. There's no question. But like, she chose. That was something, one of the few things in the film where she really was in control. And that, that sort of the risks that she chose to take with certain payoffs and obviously uh, ultimate sacrifice. And you know what's just, just striking with me with all of this is how fortunate we are to be dealing with a film that invites so much discussion and it just reminds me of how often we watch films that are so vacant, where there is nothing to talk yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, th this film, to me, is a feast of discussion. Yes. And, and it just reminds you how often you watch something, and four minutes later, you're like, what did I just watch? <laughs> you're right. You're, you're so right. Because few films that I saw last year, would we be able to sit here and, and have this kind of conversation and, and talk about these rich topics? So yeah, I agree totally with Vincent that it's so smart and so captivating. The other yeah. thing too, I watched in some of the, the special features was the cast saying when they read the script, they're like, listen, didn't read particularly funny on the page. And then you also don't know what the costumes, the sets, the camera, or the music is going to be. When, the, when Emerald Film was explaining the vision for it, they were just sort of like, oh, I don't, like, I don't know how this is going to go, but just amazing. And then what about the text message at the end too? Like I'm going, how did she pull that off? Can you pre-program some yeah, of that was what Yeah, that delivered? was my question. Because I'm like, what, is she not really dead? Like I totally yeah, yeah, thought yeah. during that scene, she's going to sit up. Like this is... It's not over. It's not over. And right. then it, I still had that. Even when they went to the wedding, I'm like, something's going to happen here. Something's going to happen. Right. And she was 
dead dead it was shocking that's interesting I had the opposite thought where I was like oh my gosh this movie is going to end with this man who has raped this girl getting married and like that's how it's going to end and I was Mm -hmm. so disappointed but then also I'm like I can see that being the ending too because ultimately in so many real life situations this is the trajectory where these men who have done these things will go on and then have promising lives and I'm like oh no I don't want it to end this way and then when the police sirens start I was like wait hold on this is not over so I don't know about the text message I know you can delay emails and posts I don't know about text messages but I mean if anyone could pull it off it was (laughs) Carrie Mulligan's character (laughs) I'm I'm banking on Carrie Mulligan yeah 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 (laughs) Yeah. So I'm looking uh, again, I feel like we could have 20 podcasts about this and mm-hmm. we'd still have more to talk about. But since we are a, l- a little over to what we planned, I'm just wondering for wrap up, do you have at this point any other recommendations of things that you've seen that you would recommend to us? Hmm. or anyone listening there's a lot of revisited i'm trying to think of anything new that i really liked on a completely different wavelength i actually really enjoyed the latest conjuring movie part of that that paranormal activity uh series with patrick wilson and vera farmiga so the conjuring the devil made me do it is up on hbo max right now i mean completely different film it's not as substantial at all but is it an entertaining new release yeah for a more almost in the vein of Promising Young Woman with a really substantial film that would create a lot of discussion. One that I recommended for part of my weekly picks is a film called In the Bedroom. It's from 2001. It's with Sissy Spacek, Marissa Tomei, and Tom Wilkinson. There's a lot there. There's a lot there going on Mm. in family dynamics, tragedy, there's some violence, and so there's some consequences that definitely invites a decent amount of discussion that I think is a very, very strong film which people want to check out. The film that's really substantial, again, it's called In the Bedroom. It's not a film, but I would recommend Mayor of Easttown. Just again, she that character is dealing with different kinds of trauma. And it's, you know, I, I, it's not the same as Promising Young Woman at all, but quite what historically has gone on in someone's life. And there is a, a murder in it and a mystery. So I guess there are similarities. It's more of a time investment, seven episodes, so seven hours. But I've heard it's, it's phenomenal. Yeah, it's really well done, I thought. And Kate Winslet is uh, really good in that role too. Oh, thank you for the recommendations. I actually have one as well that I haven't finished okay. at this point. So it'll be an interesting recommendation. But after feeling very betrayed about Bo Burnham's character reveal, I was kind of watching some videos with all the cast and I found out that he had a Netflix special has recently come out that he wrote, directed, starred in, and then also shot and edited like completely by himself in one room. And yeah. the amount of work that must have gone into pulling off something like this by yourself, which is not only shot beautifully, but like all of the songs and the the, the pieces I've seen so far are so smart and sparking with oh my goodness so many things to talk about there so yes I would recommend that one and then I'm also looking forward to finishing it I'm like I cannot have this on in the background or I will get no work done so I'll yes. have to finish it this weekend and then I you know in the heights just what came out too mm-hmm. and I've heard really really mm-hmm. phenomenal things about that too mm-hmm. Well, 
thank you so much for coming back on. It was so good to talk to you both again. Thank, thank you, you, everyone. Thank yeah, you. thank you. It's thank always you. fun. Always fun. <laughs> yes. Happy weekend, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to Start Talking. We hope that you keep talking about all of the things that we've spoken about today and all of the art in our local Windsor-Essex community, even long after our podcast episode is over. If you're interested in finding out more about the Art Gallery of Windsor, you can find us on our website at www.agw.ca or you can follow us on social media at agw401. Have a great day, everyone. Stay safe and be well.